Let me start by just sharing two short, very silly stories, uh, which may bring a smile to your face. Uh, the first one is about a man who had an obsession uh, about saving time. He thought that good management would make him a better person. And one day he had a clever idea, because he used to wet shave in the morning. He thought I could save time if instead of using one brush to lather my face, I used two. So he got his stopwatch out and he used two brushes to apply the soap and the lather and uh, discovered that he'd saved 30 seconds. The following morning he thought he would improve upon the experiment and he used two uh, brushes to put the lather on and then he used two razors. Um, unfortunately, he cut his throat and he spent the next five minutes mopping up the blood. The other story is about a man who thought he could impress his friends by improving his memory. He used to travel to work by train every morning and alongside the rain, train track uh, there were lots of hoardings advertising this, that and the other. And he used to train his memory by thinking about these adverts and remembering which order they came in. And when he thought he'd got it off pat, he uh, boasted to a friend that he could do this and asked his friend to test him. So his friend blindfolded him at the beginning of the train journey and uh, then uh, as they went along the line, uh, the man quite correctly, in the correct order, remembered each of these advertisements and his friend was duly impressed. The man himself was extremely pleased until he arrived at the office and found that he'd left his briefcase on the train. Being brainy or being efficient doesn't necessarily guarantee wisdom. We can be clever and we can still be stupid. And of course, apart from those very silly stories that I've just shared with you, I could have told you a whole long list of stories, as I'm sure you could tell me, about ways in which, uh, as human beings, we are sometimes extremely clever, but amazingly foolish. And sometimes that foolishness, combined with cleverness, uh, has devastating results. Well, there are many stories in the Gospels where we discovered uh, that the disciples of Jesus lacked wisdom. This passage that uh, we've just heard, read by Michael, seems to be one of them. And uh, Jesus is trying to lead them into wisdom. And uh, there are three uh, separate little parts of this passage this morning. So I want to look at each of them briefly. First of all, Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to be betrayed, that he will be killed and that he will rise again on the third day. But they're very slow to understand what he's trying to tell them. And it's not as if it's the first time he said it. He has already, according to Mark, uh, he's already told them twice. This was the third time of telling and they still really didn't understand what he was trying to say. And they were afraid to ask him. The disciples, of course, were part of the Jewish people who um, believed that the long-awaited Messiah would come. But the idea that they had in their heads about this long-awaited Messiah was that he would be a figure with political power and aspirations. And the idea of a suffering Messiah just wasn't in their mindset at all. The disciples understood the ways of the world where if you want to put things right, you use muscle power. But they did not understand about redemptive suffering. We know the story of the last 2,000 years is that the power of the cross has the power to redeem and transform 
human lives, seen over and over again. This is the way <clears throat> that God works fundamentally in the human heart, that the disciples understood the ways of the world and not the ways of God. I wonder whether we really understand about the power of suffering, sacrificial love. When we see situations that need putting right, situations that are wrong, whether we think we can uh, put them right simply by throwing more money at them or, or creating some no, new law to deal with the problem or calling an army to deal, in, deal with the problem. So often what is needed is our patient, personal, costly commitment to get things done and changed. And then the second area that Jesus was uh, trying to lead his disciples into wisdom uh, was to teach them the way of humility. And this short passage finds Jesus asking his disciples as they come to the end of a journey what they'd been talking about on the way. <clears throat> Not just what they'd been talking about, but what they had been arguing about because Jesus clearly realized there had been a bit of argy-bargy going on. And they admitted that what they had been arguing about was who was the greatest. So Jesus faces this situation where his disciples are arguing about their uh, relative importance and he sits down. That was always the sign that a Jewish rabbi was just about to say something fairly important when he sat down to teach. And Jesus said, if anyone wants to be first, they must be last and the servant of all. And of course, Jesus not only taught his disciples about humility, he actually showed them what it meant. We see it supremely on that night of his arrest uh, when he shared that last supper with his disciples and when he took a, a bowl and a towel and he washed the disciples' feet. The very last person in the room <clears throat> that you might have expected to be doing that job. You see, the disciples understood the ways of the world uh, about importance and status and titles and having a loud voice. But they didn't understand about the wisdom of God. They didn't understand about the power of transform the transformative power of service. This upside-down way of doing things is right at the very heart of the Christian faith, of course. And, and it's there in the famous words of the Magnificat, the Song of Mary, he has put down the mighty from their thrones and has exalted the humble and the meek. I wonder whether we really understand about the wisdom of service. Strange, isn't it, really, how in this last 18 months we have been challenged and prompted to re-evaluate the contribution that people make to society. Perhaps we have realised in a new way that we rely not only on the upfront people with managerial positions and large salaries, but we, we owe a tremendous amount to people whose work is often unheralded and unnoticed <clears throat> and far too often well underpaid. And the third area where Jesus was trying to lead his disciples into wisdom was to do with simplicity and teachability. And with his disciples around him, he draws a child uh, into that circle and picks the child up and says, um, whoever welcomes one of these children in my name welcomes me. And one Bible commentator makes an interesting com com comparison between the way that Matthew and Mark uh, tell these two stories. 
story is there, the facts are the same. But Matthew has the emphasis that the importance is to adopt the same attitude as a child. When we come to Mark, there is a slightly different emphasis. The stress in Mark's gospel is more on our attitude towards that child. Do we not only accept children but welcome them? Do we give them the dignity that we would give to any other human being? Do we listen to them as we would listen to any adult? I read a simulating book recently written by a very experienced school teacher who taught in some very difficult, challenging situations in some of our inner cities. Um, and uh, they were areas where the behavior of secondary school children was sometimes extremely challenging. But as she got under the skin of some of these children, and she spent a great deal of time and effort to do this, as she got under the skin of these children and respected them as people by listening to them and by understanding them, she discovered that she learned some very valuable lessons about life herself. And so she gathered all these experiences together in a book and she gave it the title, Some Kids I Taught and What They Taught Me. The disciples of Jesus understood the ways of the world, so often about telling children what to do or even ignoring them. Jesus challenged them through wisdom, to find wisdom through simplicity, even giving dignity to a young child, because the proud and the arrogant heart learns nothing. I wonder whether we have a teachable spirit. Are we open to learn from the child, from the newcomer, the outsider, the vulnerable. Of course, the disciples weren't stupid. Just because they weren't wise, it didn't mean to say they weren't stupid. They were clever. They were clever and able people in everyday life. Peter and James and John and Andrew were fishermen. They knew how to catch fish and how to feed a community. Matthew knew how to help people fill in their tax returns probably to his own advantage. Uh, Judas knew how to look after money and possibly how to cook the books. We're told that he was the keeper of the common purse amongst the disciples. We don't know much about the other disciples, what they did, but they would have had their own skills. They weren't stupid people. They were clever and they were able, but they weren't wise in the ways of God. And that's what they needed to learn. And often it seems they were slow learners. But thank God, Jesus was a patient teacher. It was the prophet Isaiah who spoke about that huge gap between God's ways and our ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I'm sure you know that a sizable chunk of the Old Testament is taken up with what we uh, call the books of wisdom. Almost a fifth, actually, of the Old Testament. The books of Job and Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, and the book of Proverbs and the Psalms. And apart from the Psalms, I'm a little surprised at how rarely we turn to those other books. They have some gems in them. There is a strong tradition in Old Testament times of searching for wisdom and the awareness that real wisdom is not the same as cleverness. Jesus came to show more fully, completely, what real wisdom is. And he is in the New Testament described as 
the wisdom of God. I wonder how aware we are of the need to become truly wise. Wise in the ways of God rather than simply becoming clever or skillful. We need God's wisdom to match our cleverness in so many, many ways. I'll finish just by mentioning two events. Two events from last week on a completely different scale. uh, But really that illustrate this point. Both that came from America. First of all, the... um, 18-year-old Emma Raducanu, who hit the uh, tennis world last week at the Open Championships in America, coming as an outsider and finishing up as the winner. She is just mind-blowingly clever with a tennis racket. And I think before I have my next game of tennis with one of my teenage granddaughters, I think I'll go to Emma for one or two lessons. I could do with them. Uh, She has been given the nickname Emma Radu can do, because she did. But given that meteoric rise to fame, almost over a weekend, she's not only going to have to keep her cleverness, she's going to have to learn wisdom as to how to deal with fame and how to learn with money and how to learn with public, how to deal with publicity and how to cope with um, lots of people constantly giving her attention. We all need to learn skills but even more we need to learn wisdom as to what to do with the possibilities that our skills and our cleverness brings. And the other event that came from last weekend, of course, was the 20th anniversary of 9-11 that was marked not only in America, but in so many countries right around the world. Remembering the awful bombings of the World Trade Center and the Pentagon 20 years ago that took over 3,000 lives. And that attack unleashed a whole chain of events that's been going on really for the last two decades, not just in America, but in many other places as well. And the point I would make is this, that a clever person could sit down and write up the events of history in the last 20 years, going back to 9-11, and uh, sort of trace the chain of events and how one links to another. A clever person could do that, but it takes wisdom to understand what's been going on in this hodgepodge of international events and what God has been saying to us and what God has been prompting us. That's wisdom. And how much we need God's wisdom in our personal lives and on the international stage as well. We may be slow learners. The question is, are we willing learners? So let's learn from Jesus, who is the wisdom of God. Amen.